This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Your best insight into Utah Jazz basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome everybody into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700, your home for the best Utah Jazz and NBA analysis. I'm Andy Larson, managing editor of SaltCityHoops.com. As always, we have Ben Dowsett joining us. Ben Dowsett also writing for SaltCityHoops.com and in a number of different excellent places around the internet. ESPN 700, also the home of the NBA Finals, by the way. It is. I mean, ESPN 700 is 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 a pretty pretty good radio station. This is I, it is it is my favorite radio station. I would I would even say. Uh, let me. <laughs> we've got a lot to talk about. First of all, I mean, it's the NBA Finals. That's exciting. Game one, there's a lot to talk about with with regards to Kyrie Irving, uh, uh, the injury. We'll, we'll talk about that more later. Obviously, last night's game was was an exciting one. The first uh, finals overtime game since 2001. So that's Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. That's fun, isn't it? I missed that one. Um, and, I mean, the Warriors played well. Lots of matchup things to talk about that. So we're going to talk about that in the first segment. We've got Dan Clayton, another Salt City Hoops writer, joining us at, at about 7.30 to talk about the NBA Finals. Uh, he's also got a report on Ante Tomic that we'll want to uh, talk about whether or not he comes over to the Jazz. And then we're also going to spend a lot of today's show talking about the NBA draft. Obviously, Most the Jazz... of today's show, really. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know... The Jazz have a lot of really interesting decisions to make at number 12, whether that be who to draft or who to trade the pick for. Uh, I've got some inside intelligence on, on what the Jazz are thinking uh, and, and what, how those prospects have done in their workouts, the ones that have come in thus far to Utah. So we'll be, we'll be talking about that later in the show. Uh, and, and then we're going to do some, some would-you-rather, some choices. Make, us, make you and I, Ben, make the hard decisions for you for the Utah Jazz on on what we would do at number 12. I'm going to let you guys know in advance, my would you rather is ridiculous. <laughs> is It's one of those like this would never actually happen in real life, but I wanted to conceptually discuss it, so wait for that in the second. But it was, it was actually, it was close to happening. I mean, that's, Something that's like it was close to happening. Report. Yeah. So we're going to talk about that hint. It has to do with James Harden. So that's, yeah. that's a, a preview of what's coming up later in the show. Yeah. As always, this is a social show, so we would ask that you please join in whenever you feel like you have something that you'd like to say to us. Um, you can always do so by Twitter, by tweeting us at Andy B. Larson, or you can always tweet Ben over here at Ben underscore Dowsett. Uh, or you can call us, 877-353-0700, 877-353-0700. And please do, especially once we get into the, the, the segments with the draft talk and trade talk and all that. We like to hear from you guys, hypotheticals, things like that. Those are always fun. That's why we have a radio show. Yeah, I mean, if you guys have better ideas than we do, and I'm not doubting that, then please join us. Uh, or, you know, even if they're not as good of ideas, we like... The one I'm going to present later is complete lunacy, <laughs> at least in the, pre- the way I'm presenting it in the present day, because we're in the present day. You just day. have to be less insane than Ben. Yeah, I mean, and that's not hard. Okay. Well, let's talk about the NBA Finals and get, get your insane reactions to what happened last night. I don't think those are actually quite as insane. <laughs> um, well, should we start with the injury, or should yeah, we start with the rest start of the game? Let's start with the news. The breaking news today is that Kyrie Irving has a fractured left kneecap. Which, uh, by the way, I've heard is among the most painful injuries you can have. 
which makes the fact that he walked off the court pretty impressive to me. I have a buddy that I, I messaged him as one of my best friends. I messaged him as soon as the news broke, like fractured kneecap out for the rest of the, the playoffs. Mm-hmm. He said, I had that happen to me when I was younger, and it was the most painful thing that's ever happened to me. What else has happened to him? I'm not sure. <laughs> I know he's been in a major car accident. I don't know if okay. the, I don't know if that was when it happened. But, so Kyrie, um, no, Kyrie injury is worse than major car accident. Potentially, I guess. Okay, no, I I think that's that's valuable. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, uh, it, from what it sounds like, it sounds like it was a possibly already something that happened earlier in the playoffs, and was just you know was kind of the final moment when his kneecap fractured last night. Is that um, how that I, – I know nothing uh, about how that works. Can you, like, es- essentially stress or partially fracture something to where you don't feel it as much or maybe you just feel it a bit, but then all of a sudden you fully fracture it and that's when it's when it's done? That's my understanding. Okay. And and this is based on a, a doctor's report on Twitter who, who's familiar with Kyrie's injury okay. report. Um, and then – so, it, you know, it wasn't all just last night's play that led to the fractured kneecap. I was kind of surprised initially that that was the diagnosis because it, it didn't look like a fractured kneecap. It, there was no contact was on the knee, I don't think. I was think there, there may was have a been little? a little bit, okay. um, but, yeah, not enough to cause something like that. Not, not something completely abnormal in an NBA game, you know okay. what I mean? Uh, so, anyway, he'll be out for three to four months, obviously the rest of the NBA Finals. Uh, and really, Cavs fans at this point are just hoping that Kyrie turns back into the player that he was for most of the season because mm-hmm. he, he's been phenomenal this year. At, he has been phenomenal, but all, I also looked at a chart. Uh, you know, he's, 20, what, 23, 24 years old, mm-hmm. and he's had a full career worth of injuries already at his age. And, you, you know, you can never – I think there are very few players outside of your most extreme cases in history where you can really apply the injury-prone tag to and actually – know that it's true about that player because there's so just the sample is just so low generally and like things just happen sometimes to guys even yeah. sometimes repeatedly things just happen to guys but you, he's inching towards that level and he's already a very he's still a very young player he's had so many significant injuries and nicks between serious ones like this and little nicks and bruises and things that kept him out a part of that Atlanta series do you get concerned about that at any point with him i mean not that there's anything you can do about it because he's not going anywhere and he's a franchise guy. But right. does does that become a concern at some point? Yeah, I mean, just like any other star player, I, I think you have to worry about it. I mean, to me, the big question is, is it a repeated injury in the same leg or same joint that is, is something that makes him injury prone? Is it something about the way he moves or attacks um, or something about his body's physiolog- physiological characteristics, really, that, that make him injury prone? Or is it just flukishness? I mean, we, we've kind of seen that with Andrew Bogut a little bit where he, he got the injury-prone label, and rightfully so, but it's kind of been all over his body where these yeah. injuries have, have, have happened. Uh, I, I don't know if that's the case with Kyrie and whether or not the injuries in Season 1 and Season 2 were the same. I mean, he only played uh, 51 games his rookie year, 59 games his second year. He did play 75 this season uh, before getting really injured in the playoffs. But I, I, I think... Uh, you know, I, I think it's too soon to say. Yeah, I would probably agree. All right, so moving on to the game a little bit. And first of all, I wanted to just note something that's kind of independent to what we're going to talk about. But NBA TV has done something really cool. Did you see this? Um, no. They're essentially doing, I think it might be airing now, actually, if I'm not mistaken, or, or sometime tonight on NBA TV. They're doing almost like ESPN did with college football earlier this year, like a coach's film room broadcast oh, yeah, of the game you, you saw that okay, cool. i think that's really cool first of all um i just for for people like me that's kind of that's what i like watching basically. and not, uh, if i can step back for a second 
that's happening more and more in media, by the way. Like, yeah. You know, with like mm-hmm. the the college football uh, championship game, uh-huh. they had a a film room sort of session with multiple coaches, college football coaches, breaking down the championship mm-hmm. game on ESPN two or ESPNU or something like that. I mean, it, there's clearly an audience for analysis. I mean, oh, you can go frankly, even. This is that's our audience, right? Right. It's, exactly. It's, it's that's for, for people like us. Games, you but. can go even deeper than that. They've got. I don't know how publicly available it is and whether you have to pay for it or not, but you can. there's the All-22 film in the NFL. Do you know what that, the All-22, where, yeah, where they have a camera on like every... From a blimp well, I think it's actually more that they have, a, if I'm not mistaken, they have a camera on basically every player. Oh, wow. On the Or at least every matchup on the, on the field. And, you know, I could have part of those details wrong. But essentially, like, watching a, Nash, a regular broadcast on, on, you know, Fox or whatever of a football game... We always hear like, oh, you know that that was really shoddy coverage by the by the you know by the cornerback there. How do you know? You couldn't see him. He was off your screen by like three seconds in. You have or, yeah. you know less than that. You have no idea. But with this all twenty two, you can actually see. You can just choose whichever guy you want to watch, and you can watch all their plays from that game, which is way more useful. Yeah, no, I I agree. I, I think this is kind of something that's cool and it makes it exciting to be a sports fan in 2015 is that all of this is available to us. People aren't just happy with, you know, the number of RBIs. Had. Yeah. Now all of a sudden it's what's really going on on the field that leads to success or failure. So yeah. anyway, going back to the NBA Finals though. Yeah, basketball game last night. Um, First of all, excellent game. Uh, Probably the best individual game we've seen in these playoffs since that first round Spurs-Clippers series, I would yep. say, objectively, I would say. Um. I liked things that both teams did a lot. I liked the way the Cavs went big and stayed big and made it work. Um, Mozgov was spectacular, especially in the first half. He was great. Uh, was, or excuse me, Thompson was giving the usual problems as far as his offensive rebounding. I believe with those two on the floor, they were at a 36% offensive rebounding rate, wow. which is over a third, so that's that works. Um Kyrie himself looked great before he got hurt, which is kind of part of what makes this as sad as it is. And not only just offensively, that might be the best defensive game that person has played in his career mm-hmm. of basketball. That block on Steph at the end that gave Cleveland the chance to win the game uh, right at the end. They didn't, but the, that block, that was fantastic. Kyrie never makes plays like that. Like I, that, was, I don't know of anyone who makes plays like no, that. I, I mean, that was, catching up with Steph Curry from behind and then just getting the fingertip on it so you can get that block. I mean... Yeah, there aren't any defenders, really, who I've seen make that play against Steph Curry this season. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I also like what Golden State did as far as how they combated LeBron. We've It's been the main topic of conversation today around among analysts, I think, is and LeBron's comment was, you know, nobody lets me get 40, I go out and get 40, which is true. He's still being guarded, but rather than bringing hard doubles and hard traps like a lot of teams do, they rotated Bogut in and out, so Bogut would run over to the strong side, but then he'd run back. And then they they did a bunch of sort of kind of almost random stuff, not completely random, but I think they purposely mixed it up to bring LeBron off of his rhythm there. Yeah, they were trying to confuse him a little bit, whether that be bringing the double team from Mozgov's guy one play and then J.R. Smith's guy the next play and then Kyrie's guy the next play and kind of mixing up their coverages so he was never comfortable uh, about what to do. I mean, LeBron is so smart as a player that if if he knows what you're doing and how you're defending him, then he can make he can make incredible adjustments in order to to best take advantage of that defense. Yeah. If he doesn't know, though, then he's he's kind of stuck, and we saw the Cavs in a lot of late shot clock situations as a result of that. Yeah, and that what that did was that cut off uh, at least a part of his abilities as a, a playmaker. They didn't allow him as much for, you know, when they were he was getting hard-doubled by Atlanta. Hard-doubling LeBron in the post is death. 
The, you hard double LeBron in the post, he's finding the open person no matter where they are in the court. He's, he may be the greatest player in history at that individual skill. Uh, and they kind of took a lot of that away from him by never really having two guys right in his grill. They pretty much always had length where they could make those adjustments and those rotations. I don't know what Cle- what Cleveland's numbers were as far as the three. I think their uncontested numbers were pretty bad if I'm not mistaken, which we could see regress back a bit, although now they're going to be playing guys like Della Vadova a lot of minutes now yeah, I mean, that Kyrie's like, out. Nobody shot over 50% for the Cavs, first of all. J.R. Smith was 3 for 13. He was awful. LeBron was 18 for 38. Mozgov was 5 for 10 and you know got 16 points, but still not over 50%. Even Kyrie, who had a great game, was 10 for 22. Shumpert, 2 for 6. Thompson, 1 for 4. I mean, that that's literally all of the, the Cavs' field goal attempts. Yeah. So it, you can't say it was an efficient offensive performance by the Cavs. Though. No, and that, I mean, that's kind of what we've becoming used to so far in the playoffs is they're less efficient, they brutalize you on defense and on the offensive boards, and it, you just, they just kind of hope that they wear you down eventually, which has been working until now. Now they're playing a whole different level of team, and the Warriors pretty much won. I mean, Steph played okay he, by his standards. Definitely not great by his standards. He can play a lot better. Clay can play a lot better. I think he shot 4 of 15 or something like that, or 5 of yeah, 14. Yeah, 5 of 14. 5 of 14, yeah. He can play a lot better. Draymond Green was in foul trouble a lot. He can play a lot better. I mean, the three best players for Golden State all definitely have a higher level in them, and they still won the game. The one thing I would like to mention real quick— Although I'll throw out that I think maybe I'll— Three of the Cavs' best players do too. I mean, LeBron obviously was excellent, but I think you know True. maybe he shoots fifty five percent instead of forty five percent. Obviously, J.R. Smith could shoot better. I think Kyrie maybe goes better than ten for twenty two. I mean, again, was excellent. Don't get yeah. me wrong, but I think that the same could be true for the Cavs. Well, two things as far as the Cavs. First, Smith, uh, especially in the fourth, in the third and fourth quarter, just destroyed them. He he sabotaged them from within. The the you know that ridiculous shot making that everybody was talking about in those earlier rounds as well. This is going to catch up to him eventually. It caught up to him last night when he starts continuing to think he can make those shots even when they're nowhere close to going down. And kind of tangentially with that, I was really I thought David Blatt through three quarters basically called basically the perfect game as a coach. I think he did everything right as far as how I would have done it rotations-wise, set play calling. I mean, they could have run a bit more pick and roll and things rather than LeBron isolations and post-ups, but it was working, and it's I guess at times it's kind of hard to override LeBron when he's like, dude, give me the ball, like I'm, I'm doing this. But at the end, Iman Shumpert sat on the bench for the last three or four minutes of that game and all of over, almost all of overtime, even when the Cavs went small, there was a period where James Jones was in over him, yeah, and I, I did not understand that I don't that understand that either. He had 17 minutes last night, one shot that he missed, one rebound, one assist, one steal, four fouls. That's uh, Shumpert? Is that Shumpert? 11 on the game. James Jones. Oh, that's Jones. Yeah, Jones had a, a real, and hasn't been good for the, la- for the whole last series. No. I don't understand why he's out there. He, there was a defensive possession, like a, I think it was the... No, they had both of them out there for the that final that the Kyrie block on Steph right at the end. I, for, I was gonna say they didn't have Shumpert out for that possession, even though it was a de- like a definite defensive only possession. Mm-hmm. They did have him out there, but they also had James Jones, which I f- yeah again it, it I don't doesn't know make sense. at the end. I thought he was pretty much perfect up until that point, Blatt. But then I had a, a few questions about that. So I guess my question and kind of going back to your comment on Jared Smith missing a lot of shots. What else do the Cavs have in terms of offensive choices? I mean, like, now that's they the thing. Don't. <laughs> that's the thing. LeBron took 38 shots. Kyrie took 22. I don't know how many more shots those guys can take without literally dying on the floor or, you know, cramping like we saw in game one of the NBA Finals last season where they just become completely ineffective or have to be subbed out. Right. 
I, I think that's kind of their best choice is to have J.R. Smith take those those sort of shots. You would like it if they were. I mean, yes, he makes them sometimes, but you would like it if some of them were a little, little, a little bit, bit better, better yeah. as far that's as right. the selectivity. And oh, there were also a few defensive. There was one where he lost the ball and just it didn't run back in transition. Yeah. And, they, and I think it was Iguodala got a dunk or something like that. I don't remember the exact play. There were a few plays like that, and this was all while Shumpert was on the bench and nearing crunch time, where it was to me it was just like listen for, in a vacuum. I would have Shumpert out there over J.R. Smith, especially if I'm killing a lead like the Cavs were. But especially while Smith was kind of sabotaging them on both ends, I could not understand why Shumpert. Who knows? Maybe he tweaked something that we don't know about. Maybe. There, there was some specific reason for it, but I, I was a little bit confused by that. I, my question that I've been wondering about this whole time, and that I think it's a hypothetical, of course, is let's say Kevin Love hadn't been injured. H- how different would this be? Um, I think they win last night's game. Yeah, I, I think that's right? probably I mean, right. But would they be favorites going forward? Like, no, I mean, you just look at how good these two teams were in the regular season when the Cavs had Kevin Love and the Warriors have who they have now, and... You know, the Warriors were the best team in the league and, and better than the Cavs by far. I, I think it's still right to favor the Warriors, even if they would have had Kevin Love. Yep. The Warriors were a tremendous team, a, a historically great team. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that doesn't mean that Kevin Love is not a valuable player just because they got to the NBA Finals without him. That says much more to me about the quality of the East and the quality of LeBron James. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I, I think I maybe would have inst- – I picked the Warriors in five initially. I think if they had had love, maybe I, I would have made it a six or a seven-game pick. Yeah, but, but I, I mean, still would still, have had, it's still the Warriors. I still yeah. would have had the Warriors, and I, I think – I do last week as well. I think it's slightly unfortunate almost that the – you know, it is, and I'm, they're not complaining about it, but it is almost slightly unfortunate that the Warriors have encountered the number of injuries they have on their way to what is going to be their yeah. this championship because – this is, in my opinion, one of the five to seven best teams to ever be assembled in this game, and I think that's going to be somewhat overshadowed by, oh, you know, their only subpar defender is Steph, and, and he's the point guard, and they only played injured point yeah, guards throughout, no, the, which is true, but at the same time, they would have won anyway, is my opinion, at least. I, I, I think that's a fair point, um, and, you know, I think kind of their historical uh, placement in, in the kind of top ten team, teams group depends a lot on what happens next season. You know, if That's if, true. If they're bad next season and the season, or, or you know, don't win a title next season, then they're, they're kind of looked at as one of the, the one-off winners. The flash uh, in the pan kind of. Right, and, and there are lots of those. I mean, uh, I actually have heard this comparison to this team and the Portland Trailblazers of the, of the 70s, the Bill right. Walton team. Yeah, because um, Walton couldn't stay healthy for more than one season at a time, basically. Right. And, and, you know, that was kind of their hurrah, and they were a tremendous team, great at ball movement, um, great shooting, but ultimately, they just you know didn't put it together beyond that one NBA final. What was that one Sixers team? There was a Sixers team as well. There was, the, yeah, with uh, with Moses uh, Malone and yeah. I'm trying to remember which year which that year was it. roughly. It was somewhere in the 70s or 80s, which yeah, is uh, narrows it down but, a ton. I mean, the point is that there are all these kind of like one-off championship teams that had excellent, excellent seasons, but aren't regarded as historically great teams because they weren't able to do it for season after season. Right. To me, that's what's going to determine what the what the long-term thought of people is on, on this Warriors team. Now, if we're, but let's say we're splitting it a little bit more finely and we're just going with single season, like regardless of what they did in any, because, you know, you, the iteration of your team changes slightly as you go into the next season. You have slight roster turnover. Yeah. Other teams around you change. The, the dynamic of the league changes. So just for the one, you know, going one season at a time compared with their peers, 
I have this as one of the like seven ish or so best teams. Do you? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I mean, obviously, we still have six games of NBA Finals left. Three. We have, we have three, three games of six. NBA How Finals about that? left. I'd you you think very, it's a sweep? I'd be very surprised if Cleveland won a game at this point. Any games. Wow. Okay. I, I think LeBron could legitimately score 45 a game for the rest of the series and even do so semi-efficiently, and they, they're still going to lose every game. They do, I think they that's don't, fair. I think, you know, I agree with LeBron that it's not just, like, them letting him get it. He still has to go do it himself. Yeah. But they're preferring to have him not waste his energy, but use all of his energy doing that and getting, you know, t- slightly tougher two-point buckets rather than feeding wide-open three-point shooters for wide-open threes that, in the long run, when they start making them, can hurt you a lot more. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that I would ever favor any team to win three games in a row against any other team, you know what I mean? Like, I guess that's true. Even if the Warriors, like, the Warriors lost to the Lakers this season. It's yeah. it's just one of those fluke things that yeah. happen in basketball that sometimes yeah. the team gets hot and makes shots, and then the other team doesn't get hot and doesn't make shots, and, and you end up with losses. I mean... To me, if if the Warriors were playing, you know, the Jazz out there, I, I'd still take them to make to win one of these three games. I think though, in those types of regular season games, sometimes the focus is down a little bit. Sometimes sure. not everybody's you know completely a hundred percent. And here, hyper focused situation. I I think we actually saw a bit of nerves from the Warriors early on. Maybe a bit of not even necessarily nerves, just a bit of forcing things, a bit of kind of un- less comfort. And that even seemed to go away as that game went on, and yeah. I think that's just going to get better and better as the series goes on. And now with, with I, Kyrie gone, the talent gap is so massive. I did see one suggestion from Kevin Pelton today that rather than start Della Vadova, as you'd assume, you just start Smith, Shumpert, LeBron, and then the, and the two bigs. Okay. That way the cross match with as far as somebody defending Steph isn't quite as bad right from the start. Okay. I don't mind that suggestion yeah. from Pelton. Um, then you spend... Then Delhi spends more time guarding Sean Livingston rather yeah. than Steph Curry. Yeah, I like that. I, I don't mind that. And he said, you know, he was ba- the article was basically how the Cavs can still win or how they can try yeah, and still win. And like. the uh, you know the other was you know muck the game up, which is very true. I think you you know you kind of try and have Delhi injure Steph Curry. <laughs> Not that I don't I don't think uh, <laughs> Kevin was work. suggesting that. I'm sure he was. Yeah, knowing right. Kevin, he's he's a I don't know bloodthirsty man. He just <laughs> wants Steph Curry. No, he doesn't. Kevin Felton's like the nicest man ever. Yeah, he is. Anyway, let's go ahead and take a break. We just got pizza delivered. So oh my gosh, I, I let's definitely take a break. Um, <laughs> coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show, we're going to have Dan Clayton on talking about the NBA Finals, talking about his report about Ante Tomic possibly coming to the Jazz and much more that's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. Andy Larson with Ben Dowsett. We just had a major, major party foul here. You just had a major party foul. I just had a major party foul. As we said, going into the break, we just had pizza delivered to the Salt City Hoops studios. Enjoying the pizza, lovely time in our lives, and I spill both of the pizza boxes. Pizza goes... Sauce first into the carpet. At least Five you were to reaching ten for to an thirty app. seconds rule Oof. was applied. I mean, uh, we're men here, right? Like we can we can have the pizza off the floor, and we're going to be okay, probably. Oh, that would absolutely. I was only having the one slice anyway because I had a burrito earlier, but that would not have stopped me. Like if I if I had wanted more, it's, I would have been eating more. It it is not going to stop me. Um, but <laughs> and and so ends Andy's dating life because <laughs> anyway, <laughs> moving on. Let's try to get Dan Clayton on. Dan's another one of our great Salt City Hoops writers on SaltCityHoops.com, the ESPN Troop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Dan, how are you? 
Dan. That's, a, that's an auspicious way to start a, a radio call in. How's it going? <laughs> yeah. It's going well. Yeah, it, it's um, it's an interesting scene here at the studios at the moment. Uh, we got to take. Care I of guess. It. Yeah. Anyway, well, thank you much. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, first, let me ask you what what your first impressions were of of last night's game. I mean, what do you make of where the series is? Is it is it Warriors in a sweep going forward? What what do you make of it? <clears throat> um, you know, I'm hesitant to say a sweep just because I was the guy who was saying before game one that uh, that I think we were looking past Cleveland a little too easily. Um, you know, they have the best player in the series. They have the best player on the planet. Um, obviously, the, the heartbreaking news today about Kyrie Irving, um, you know, changes things a little bit. And, and certainly, you know, Cleveland went from being the underdog to the massive underdog. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know what they're going to do to to compensate for. You know, what did he have last night? I think thirty six or thirty eight minutes. Um, that's a lot of minutes you have to fill with some combination of Della Vadova, who was horrible last night, or you know, someone else running the point. They just don't have a whole lot of optimal choices. Um, so yeah, they're they're going to have a rough go. But uh, but I think they'll still find a way to to at least stay in a couple of these games and maybe give themselves a shot. I think it was actually 43 minutes for Kyrie, if I'm not mistaken, uh, include, all included, which is, that's, yeah, you're right. That's that's a buttload of minutes. Yeah, I mean, do, do you think that's... Oh, right, right, right. I, for, I was forgetting overtime. Thanks, yeah. Do you think that's too much? I mean, because Kyrie was a plus five last night. Like, they, they kind of needed him to stay alive in that game, in my opinion. Well, he was a plus five, and Delhi was a minus 13, if I remember right. Oh, yeah, that's correct. I mean, Della Vadova was just, he was awful. He wasn't giving them anything on offense. Um, you know, when he drives the lane, people back off of him because they know that he's just looking to, to lob or the pocket pass. Um, on, on defense, it was worse. He was completely botching switches. He was giving guys wide open backdoor dunks. He was, um, you know, he was really bad. Obviously, he's a more capable player than that. He had, um, you know, he's not a great player. He's overall someone that you probably want coming off your bench or maybe even deep bench. But, uh, you know, he had some nice, games in the Cleveland series and in the Chicago series while Kyrie was, you know, either out or playing limited minutes. Um, so they've got to get more from him, obviously, in, in game two and beyond. Um, but that was, I think, what really hurt them. is not the fact that, I mean, last night was a night that they just couldn't live without Kyrie because Della Vadova was just, um, you know, pretty not great. And then he missed the team bus and had to take an Uber home, which I found kind of funny. That, uh, really, I missed that. Yeah, great. apparently that happened after the game. So maybe his head wasn't completely there. Yeah, they're going to need a lot more from him. They're going to need more from J.R. Smith, who we discussed on the first segment was pretty terrible as well. Um, yeah. They're going to need more time with Shumpert. We discussed on the first segment also how it was curious that Shumpert didn't play much in crunch time, especially when J.R. Smith was just, just destroying them from within, essentially. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think the series is over. I think you have a little bit more hope than me, pers- which is good. I want it. I want to be wrong. I hope you're right, but uh, I don't think so, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, mostly I'm just hedging my bets because, um, you know, a team with LeBron is is probably going to find a way to, um, you know, like I say, they'll give themselves chances to win. There will probably be a game or two in this series where Golden State finds their rhythm and, and it's, you know, a, 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 an embarrassing <laughs> half or quarter for Cleveland. Uh, but but overall, you know, I expect I expect them to find a way to to stay in games at least. And if if that means we get three close games and a blowout, and then the finals are done, that'll be sad because that means we have to go longer without basketball until October. That's true. Yeah. Uh, although there is summer league, 
So semi basketball is coming. Yeah. Uh, you had a report this week on on Salt City Hoops. Not a report, but kind of a, a compilation of all the different media re- reports on Ante Tomic and the likelihood that he moves to to the United States and plays for the Utah Jazz next season, or if he stays in Barcelona and and or maybe even signs with another team. I mean. Can you recap that for me a little bit? What happened with Tomic this year? What you think the likelihood of him coming over to the NBA next season is? Yeah, sure. Uh, it's funny. I, you know, I got what I thought was this great inside information from a radio guy in Spain, Mark Mundet, and um, you know, before I even had a chance to do anything with that information, um, a, a broader story broke, a bigger story broke from Gigantes del Basket, a prominent magazine and website over there, um, that basically. Um, scooped me and shared the same information. The information that came out was basically information that said, um, ignore what you heard in late April. We'll all remember that in late April we heard Ante Tomic um, had agreed to re-sign with Barcelona, and the report now is not so fast. Maybe he you know, has nothing decided after all. And actually what Mundet told me, the reason Mundet and I connected is because I saw him reporting that Cheska Moscow is talking to Tomic. So it sounds like there are more doors open than ever for the Croatian center in that he could stay with Barca, he could go to Cheska Moscow, or it does sound like the possibility of coming to Utah is still open. I guess my, like if I were to boil it down to a thesis here, guys, the point is when you hear a, a definitive but vague um, declaration, Tomic has agreed to terms with Barca, and then you hear three weeks of silence, and then you hear Tomic himself say, nothing's decided. Someone is messing around. Someone is, you know, playing the leverage game or playing the negotiate in the press game. And I don't know what the end game is, but I just would take everything we hear at this point with a little bit of grain of salt. That and, was good. And, and I do think it's legitimately up in the air. And, and, I, and for what it's worth, I'm, I've heard, and, and this can go into the rumor mill too, is that it's more likely that the Jazz bring over Tibor Pleiss, uh, actually Tomic's backup in Barcelona, and one of the trade, trade acquisitions in the Enes Cantor deal this February. Uh, it's more likely that they bring Pleiss over than, and, than Tomic next season, although both or neither or one or the other are still, you know, they're still possible. But Pleiss seems more likely to, at this point, at least according to my source. So, you know, it, yeah, it, I saw that, and, and that's interesting, and on a level it sort of adds up. I guess that would be a little disappointing from where I sit just because Tomic is such a better player. Um, you know, he, he really is one of the main guys on one of the best teams in the best league outside of the U.S. Um, you know, they started their playoffs today in Spain. Uh, or, sorry, not their playoffs. They started the semifinal matchup with Unicaja Malaga, and Tomic had 13 points on 6 of 8 shooting. He only played 19 minutes because they just blew Malaga out. It was a 31-point win. So, you know, they're very likely to advance to the finals against his old team, Real Madrid, and, and largely because of what Tomic can do. Um, I don't, I, you know, I'm not totally bearish on Pleiss, but Tomic is better and, and fits what the Jazz need right now better because he's someone who has both touch, um, not deep range, but he has nice soft touch around the basket and on short jumpers, but really why I think he would fit in um, in a very special way with the Jazz is because he's really one of the best passing big men um, in the history of the EuroLeague, and that's not an exaggeration. 
I've I've heard that same thing as well. I'm I'm a little bit less convinced as far as Tomich goes. I've made that known. I, I I'm not sure how he fits in. I, I re- I'm mo- mostly because I really want shooting at the third big position for the Jazz, which he uh, distance shooting that is not just a bit of touch. Uh, I have uh, kind of a two prong question. Um, the first is, and you mentioned it a, a second ago, is is this in your eyes or at least potentially a leverage play? Uh, something with Tomic to to you know with you mentioned Cheska Moscow is in the in the mix now as well is is he really is it actually possible that he comes to the Jazz or is this just a, a play to try and get more money we had a, a question to that effect on Twitter from Sporadic Regularity who by the way that's kind of a cool handle uh, yeah that one and then I also just wanted to know in particular uh, are do would you be a, you know I'm assuming the answer would be yes based on what you just said you would pull the trigger right away if Tomich wanted to come and if the nu- the numbers in your piece were that it would probably cost you know two and a half to three million yearly type of thing for the ja- on a salary for the Jazz to get Tomich at that number I'm assuming you'd be you'd be a big fan of doing that oh yeah yeah I think I think Tomich could be a legit third or fourth big um, depending on what else the Jazz have up their sleeve this summer um, I, and I think he would fit and I think he would make the second unit markedly better. Um, he was asking for 2.1 from Barcelona, although it's a little different because um, European teams have you know, some funny things they can do with taxes. They can basically kind of gross you up so that your take-home pay equals you know, the reported number, more or less. So yeah, the Jazz would probably have to go north of that if they were trying to beat Barca's offer. Um, and, and then to your first question about leverage, um, yeah, I do think it's possible um, although, according to the reports, he, you know, he had legitimate money sitting on the table um, from Barcelona. And, and I'll tell you, my guy Mark Lundet, um, you know, knows Tomich and, and speaks to him regularly and spoke to him in person uh, after one of these playoff games. And he seems convinced from, you know, talking to the player face-to-face that really, genuinely, nothing has been decided yet. Um, that could be good agent coaching. And and he's just you know trying to drive up the bidding, but uh, but Mark Mundet seems pretty convinced that Tomich does not know at this point what he's going to do. And you know, in his defense, he probably shouldn't because he's in the middle of you know potentially an ACB title run. Um, he probably should be focusing on basketball still. And I think that probably when when uh, the finals end, the ACB finals end, is when he'll probably sit down and uh, and think through it. Makes a lot of sense. All right, well, Dan, thank you so much for joining us again. That's Dan Clayton, Salt City Hoops writer. Uh, Dan, are you looking forward to game two? I am. It'll be interesting to see at that point guard spot. It'll be interesting to see uh, if the Cavs can keep their good defensive schemes intact because, obviously, a lot of Warriors had bad games that don't typically have bad games. So we'll see. It'll be fun. Yeah, nope, I agree. All right, well, thanks again for joining us. You can follow Dan on saltcityhoops.com, as always, or at Dan. Clayton, except change that zero at the end to, or an O at the end to a zero in, in that Twitter handle. Uh, and, and for yep. those of you who haven't, um, you should make sure to go on to Salt City Hoops. It was June 2nd, that the uh, so a couple days ago, that the post was uh, called Tomic Teetering, the Croatian big still up in the air report, saying that's Dan's detailed account of pretty much what he just told us, um, with a couple extra things in there as well, as on Dan's opinion on Tomic also, so you should definitely check that out. Yep, sounds good. All right, Great. well, oh yes, thanks again, Dan. All right, well, we're going to go ahead and take a break. On the other side, we begin our draft breakdown. Kind of what's all, yeah, all the different jazz prospects that, uh, that may go around that number 12 slot, some kind of my opinion on them, your opinion on them, Ben, and then also 
kind of what, what the scouting opinion is, what the front office consensus is, what we've learned in workouts about these guys, kind of what I know about each of these prospe- prospects at, at this point of the draft. We're, we're less than three weeks away now until the NBA draft. So that's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. Talking hoops and the association. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Welcome into the Salt City Hoops Show. I'm Andy Larson alongside Ben Dowsett, as always, talking about the Utah Jazz and the NBA. Uh, first of all, thanks to Dan again, Dan Clayton, joining us on the show last segment. If you haven't, if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, you can always listen to all of our interviews at ESPN700Sports.com. Uh, I believe Dan's is up on the site, and if not, it'll be up there shortly. So, anyway, uh, check that out. We're going to begin some draft breakdowns now, kind of going down the list of, of the possible prospects that, and that may fall in the Jazz's range at number 12. What you and I think about them, Ben, uh, where they're kind of falling, the latest intel, and, and kind of our understanding of, of what's going on with these prospects, what the, what the word is around the NBA. It's a wide range, which, you know, we're going to talk about like like 12 guys or something like that in here, and I don't think any of them are completely impossible that the Jazz could end up with that guy, at, even just at 12, even if they mm-hmm. don't move. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, of course, obviously, if they move up or down, then they could see other guys. But yeah. I think 12, this is, it's also good to know, even if you do want the Jazz to trade the pick, this is what other teams will be trading for. So, you know, that right. you have to be able to make that case in order to make the trade, you know? Yeah. If, say, you know, we talked about the number 12 for Patrick Patterson deal a lot last week on the show. If Toronto does that trade, they're going to be trading for someone in particular, not just yeah. the number 12 pick. So, mm-hmm. anyway, uh, let, let's start with Devin Booker. Um, one, because alphabetically, he's pretty high up there. Yeah. Uh, but two, he's he's also a very good prospect in this draft. He's probably the best shooter in the draft, uh, at least one of the top five. Mm-hmm. And he's the youngest prospect in the draft. He doesn't turn 19 until October 30th. So really, by opening day is really when he, he turns 19. That's, that's, that's younger than Dante Exum was last year. Yeah. Um, that being said... There are question marks about whether or not he has any other skills. Because, quite frankly, at Kentucky, he didn't show any other skills. He had, I, I believe it was two isolation plays all year. Huh. Um, he was was not a tremendous defender. Although I think he showed at least promise there. And yeah. I think that his size and measurables and, and general effort level make it look as though he's not going to be a liability, at least. That's that's the thing, is... is he, he he's so young and has a size that he, you can you can envision him becoming more than just a shooter. Yeah. Uh, I think the I, ball handling is a much bigger question than the yeah, defense. Personally, I, no, I, I do too. I think his best case is Clay Thompson. I That's, think his there worst been case those comps, is Anthony Morrow. Um, and man, if your worst case is Anthony Morrow, like Anthony Morrow did some good stuff this year. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I mean, for the first time in his NBA career, I mean, True. Morrow because he's only a three point shooter. It's just so it's it's so dependent on whether or not that shot is going down. Because I mean, for the three seasons before that, he didn't play at all because he wasn't valuable despite making a lot of his threes. Last year, he made enough threes and, and added you know a little bit of secondary skills uh, that that he turned out to be a valuable player. But you know, I, I think that's kind of his floor. Now, do you think this is a question you put in? Do you think he'll still be around by twelve? No, I and I, I would probably tend to agree. Uh, as we all know, forward thinking as I am, I shooting, just shooting, 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 shooting is such a huge deal in this league. And even if a team thinks they can just add a couple of brief other things, whether it be ball handling or make him into a slightly above average defender, if he's this good of a shooter at this level, he will have a place in the NBA. Yeah, and and I think that's and teams at eleven and up are going to realize that 
easily see the Pacers taking him at 11. Easily could see the Heat taking him at 10. I mean, I, I just, I think, Man, he'd be I great think he's for that probably pace. gone. He'd be great for the that pace. being said, right now in the Draft Express mock draft, he does fall to number twelve and the Utah Jazz. So right. that that would be that would be fun. Okay. Um, I, I'm going to ask you to rank these guys at the end of the show. So okay. we'll we'll kind of save how you feel about them compared to everybody else until okay. then. Let's move on to Miles Turner. is an is an interesting prospect. Uh, there are some questions on whether or not he's a power forward or a center. So, freshman from Texas, uh, measured out at 6'9.75 without shoes, 6'11.5 with shoes, 239. Um, so, there's a question whether he's he's an actual center or kind of a Derek Favor center where maybe he's better at power forward. Right. Um, there are some questions about how he runs. He, his hip mobility is almost non-existent. Yeah, he runs So, weirdly. he kind of runs super funny. Uh, and whether or not that's fixable. Is is a question. His agent Andy Miller did some real uh, physiological evaluation, mm-hmm. and, and which actually turned out pretty well, mm-hmm. um, in terms of him being able to easily fix that moving forward. Right. Um. To me, the the four to the five question is the biggest one. Is yep. is he fast enough to be a four? Because I don't think so. No way. Is he big enough to be a center? Maybe. Is I he worry. impactful enough defensively to be a center is, is my bigger question. And rebounding I, specifically, is, yeah. I think, is a large, and, and generally his strength down low, that and his fundamentals on both side of the, sides of the ball are, are big question marks to me. He's, he's, he's been moved around down low by guys that, it, I was watching some tape of him today, as it turns out, there were guys moving him around down low that it's like, that guy should not be able to move a person of his size around yeah. ever. Um, he's way too reliant on his jumper offensively, and it it looks good, but I'm really not convinced of it just yet. Um, okay. I'm I'm really intrigued by Turner and the next guy we're going to talk about because it's my firm belief that, and this is something I've discussed that that fit is a thing when you draft, especially for a team like the Jazz, who are just a few pieces away from potentially being where they want to be. And I think a big thing that a big need for the Jazz is some extra shooting, especially at the big spots. And with Turner and Frank Kaminsky both potentially projecting as guys who could do that at the NBA level, I've looked really closely at both of them. The reason I favor the latter is because. Kaminsky already has a lot of these skills where with Turner, it's le- he doesn't have many of them yet. And to me, I'm not convinced that he's going to have them. Before we move on to Kaminsky, another note on Turner. I, I feel uh, Chad Ford says that he has top five NBA potential out of this draft. I don't see that. I don't see it either. I, I think, you know, he can be a good player. I, I don't really see all-star level potential. No. I see, like, Terrence Jones level potential. I see someone who can go out and, and be a big four, small five, and and shoot well, but ultimately not be like an all-star caliber player. Yeah. To segue to Kaminsky yes, and at using them as comparisons with each other, uh, yes, uh, Turner is a lot younger and could has a lot more ceiling, a lot more room to develop, and I wrote a big piece on that this week if you want to see my opinion on those things, which I won't go into here. The difference, I think, that I think some people that just right, even right now, between the two of them that many are ignoring is beyond the shooting. Let's just say, for example, that Turner does become a great shooter or at least becomes as good of a shooter as Kaminsky is right now, which is no guarantee, but let's say that happens. The other skills 
are not there, and Kaminsky has those skills. And I understand that the, the Kaminsky may not get much better than he is right now, but the fact that Kaminsky can handle the ball really well, can pass the ball really well, has a good post game, which that doesn't, it, it may not work against, you know, the best defensive players in the NBA, but here's where it does work. If a team tries to go in weird in a matchup and play a small guy on Kaminsky so that they can stay small when Kaminsky's killing them from the outside, that ain't going to work because Kaminsky can put him on the block and can score on him. Turner, I don't know. I don't see any evidence that Turner can do that. I don't see any evidence that Turner can play defensively against the pick and roll, where I do with Kaminsky. He's been very good against the pick and roll, typically, even though his athletic profile is limited. Yeah, I mean, the worry with Kaminsky is that, A, these old guys, four-year college prospects, just uh, uh, so regularly fail. I mean, we saw it with uh, we saw it with a, a lot of players. We've seen it with Adam Morrison. We've seen it with, um, who am I forgetting? I mean, Jimmer Fredette is not a four-year player, but regardless. I mean, uh, there are a lot of players who are these great NBA, uh, put up great college numbers, but don't do well in the NBA just because they're too old. Right. I worry about that with Kaminsky. There's also some uh, body worries with him that his frame might be too small. Mm. we got to take a break. On the other side, we continue this conversation about Kaminsky and more prospects. That's next on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson, managing editor of Salt City Hoops. Ben Dowsett joins me. I want to start, first of all, by saying I'm not an idiot. I know Jimmer Fredette. I know Doug McDermott. We're both four-year college players. Um... So, sorry about saying that they weren't in the last segment. But. Sometimes it's tough when you're on the air and you just forget things. It well, happens. and we were doing the countdown to the hard out, and I was just like, yeah. ah, so much pressure. Jimmer Fredette is 80 years old. I mean, it's just, <laughs> anyway, I, I know. Don't tell Andy things. Bailey that. <laughs> Andy Bailey, by the way, Bleacher Report writer, is probably the biggest fan of Jimmer Fredette in existence. Basically. No, yeah. it just seems like it just because he posts like eight articles a summer about <laughs> Jimmer Fredette going to the Jazz. Because yeah. that, that clickbait feels, yeah. that clickbait money fills his pockets. Hey, there you go. He's, you know, cash rules <laughs> everything around me. No, I, I love Andy Bailey. If, if he's listening, shout out to him. Dollar anyway. dollar bills, y'all. Yes. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. We, I don't think we talked about Kaminsky enough, and he's someone you feel pretty strongly about as someone the Jazz should draft at 12. Yeah, and I've made most of the points, so I won't belabor too many of them, but I just think that people are vastly underrating what Kaminsky's skill set right now, even if he doesn't necessarily improve more than tangentially or on the margins, would bring to the Jazz, which I really think it would bring more than than people are willing to realize. That's all I basically think about it, and that that I personally, with where the Jazz are in their developmental trajectory and their team trajectory, that that to me is preferable to taking a shot on a guy who, yes, could be better down the line, but also could maybe have an equal or better chance of never reaching what Kaminsky is right now. What what differentiates him between Doug McDermott, someone who excelled at the college level at, at production and then was drafted by the Bulls last year and admittedly got injured but didn't do anything with with the limited playing time he got well size first of all the fact that Kaminsky is seven feet tall sure. I know that he's not a, a super strong seven feet tall and he doesn't have the greatest wingspan but just being that size means something and well, also I think I think there's a big difference defensively I think Doug McDermott was severely flawed defensively and I don't think Kaminsky's a great prospect there by any means but I also think this is overplayed I think people overplay how bad he is defensively, which now I'm not saying he can chase stretch fours around all day, which isn't the role I have in mind for him in the NBA. But 
that he's good. He's very smooth laterally. He's got better lateral speed than people think. I've been watching a lot of him. He moves really well with the pick and roll and is one of the smartest guys that you'll find out there. Like a, a Tim Duncan esque as far as his just his smarts. I'm not saying as a defender overall, guys, just as his smarts. He he knows exactly where he needs to be all the time. And that can make up for a lot of physical defeat. Not all of them. But for many, and again, when you keep in mind that you're drafting him to be a third big and to play against a lot of bench units, you're not playing him against, you know, the best post players in the league of whom, you know, how many of those are there? Like seven. Right. But I'm, I'm not worried about his post defense. I'm worried yeah. about his ability to stay with faster guys. Right. And I, I, he may give up little bits to certain guys. But again, I think you're drafting him to be a situational type player where he gives you a look that you can use if you need it. And if you don't, you can, you can pull back and you can have different guys out there. And yeah. I, I think that that skill set would be enormously advantageous for the Jazz, and I think that's the part that's being underplayed is just what he is right now could be such a big deal for the Jazz right away. Let's move on. Yeah. Um, Mario Z- Hazonia, who I, I... Is that how you say it? Is it Hazonia? I think so. I've been saying the J the whole time. Hazonja. I've been saying Hazonja, because that's, uh, that's more fun, Hazonja. I think, I think he's... I, anyway, yeah. I, I'm guessing Hazonia. Okay. I don't, I don't know for sure. Um, he's interesting, and I almost didn't include him on this list. There's some rumors, though, that he may slip, um, first of all, because he's a, a notorious prima donna, um, right. loves the minutes and, and you know wants time right away, uh, thinks he's better than he is probably, even though he is very good and very talented, um, has caused a little bit of, I don't know, mumbling on that Barcelona squad. So that's, that's worth mentioning. Okay. Um, and, and then number two, I, I think um, his buyout situation is a little bit interesting. So... If he, you know, right now he's making like 2 million euros a year. Um, and, and that's basically what he's worth in, in Europe. And NBA uh, first round, uh, on the NBA first round scale, he's going to make less than that unless he's taken like top four or top five. A- and really, that would have to be a long contract in order for him to make it up on the next deal. Huh. Um, now, uh, you know, he's probably willing to go. He does want to go to the NBA and he's probably willing, you know, if he goes... Top seven, top eight, he's probably willing to do that. And he, he has goes, to know that if he's got the talent he thinks he has and becomes the player he thinks he can be in the NBA, right, he's going to well eclipse that. Eventually. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it makes sense as, as a long-term bet on himself, and, and he does believe in himself. But if if he were drafted number 12 by the Jazz, now all of a sudden he's making like $1.8 million next season before taxes, go, has to go to Utah, is going to be the fourth wing, so probably he's not going to play a ton of minutes. Although he's not playing a, a super ton right now either. No, but I mean, again, he wants a better situation because yeah, he thinks yeah. he's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know even if the Jazz, if Hazonia were to fall to the Jazz, I don't, I don't know if they take him because of those issues. I mean, if he's not going to come over, it, it's pretty worrying. Yeah, I mean, I th- and isn't there something about he may have to pay a portion of the buyout him th- out of his salary yeah. or something like that? I mean, so there's a limit to how much NBA teams can pay on that buyout. Right. Um, so he would have to pay a certain amount of that in order to get out of that. Okay, so that's a bit of a hairy situation, which yeah. now I tend to think that his talent is going to overcome that and somebody's going to take I, him I before too. he gets to 12 because there there is talk of this being legitimately, and by the way, sporadic regularity, again, uh, confirms for us that you're pronouncing his name correctly. Yes. So Hezonia. Um Th- there is talk that he's one of, legitimately one of the most talented European wings ever, yeah. or in a long time at least. And it, when you have a chance to take that player, if he hits the ceiling, he he could be a you know perennial All Star type of guy. If you think you can get those mental issues and things like that a handle on those, I, I think if he's around at number ten, I think he makes a lot for of sense 
to to be taken by Miami, and I, I I don't know that he goes past that. I I do have to say that despite everything I just said about Kaminsky and how in the Jazz's situation, I'm totally cool with taking more of a sure thing, even though some have debated that he is that. I definitely think he is with Hazonia, even or Hazonia, excuse me, even though he's not. If he's there at twelve, I kind of think you have to do it. You okay. just don't be just based purely on and, the amount of upside. And maybe there. you trade the pick at 12 and, and see... Trade it to somebody who wants him. Someone who wants him, right. Bobby Portis, let's move on to him. Um, he was actually one of the players at this week's workout. Uh, mm. I, he was really interesting to me. Just like, he was. First of all, he makes terrific faces. If you haven't checked out my yeah. Twitter account, check that out, because it's uh, he he's, has the best in-game faces of any rookie in this year's class. His eyes on. intimidated me in that interview. Like He looked me in the eye for like two seconds, and I almost cringed back. Like, he, he's, he seems like a really intense guy. I wrote he has a tiny bit of the Draymond Green gene in him, just a little, yeah, just that like, intensity level. It's like he's a mix of Draymond Green and Derek Favors almost, because he's got yeah. like the Southern Gentleman thing going yeah. on, but he's also like got that fierce Draymond Green style yeah. too. I mean, it's anyway. Um, I, I like him actually quite a bit. I, I think he's going to be a good NBA player. I, I don't think he has a high upside because he's not all that athletic. Yeah. But I think he makes it in the league as, as a 10-year career guy who you know, is, is a great backup power forward who does a lot of things for you, is kind of an energy guy, um, is, uh, hustles, will die for you. I mean, I, I really like the comparisons he gave. I mean, he said KG, Tristan Thompson, and Chris Bosh Chris were his comparisons. Do we, do we have that quote, by the way? It was a great. John? It was a great quote, and his. No, okay, sorry, because after the quote, then uh, I think it was, uh, it was Aaron Falk who said, uh, "Can you trash talk? Can you trash talk like KG?" And he said, "No doubt." And then I think you said, "Can you pick and pop like Chris Bosh?" And he said, "All day." Yeah, <laughs> he's an extremely confident guy. The, the the Draymond comparison. Some people have tried to make that as an on court comparison as well. First of all, I hate player comps, but if I didn't. Do you, do you think that's a reasonable comparison? I don't I because don't. I just don't think his skills are that developed. Like I just think that his he does do a lot of things well, which is kind of what Draymond's profile is, but he doesn't do any of them well enough. I, I don't I don't know that he's a uh, I, I don't know that he's as smart of a player as Draymond was. That he even too. showed in college, and I think that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, yeah, I mean, I I think that he'll be a NBA contributor. There's no question. It's just kind of how I think that's not a bad ceiling for him, right? Um, uh, you know, I, I think someone uh, a I don't know Carl Landry type is is kind of a, right. a comparison yeah. where again, a good backup power forward it gives you a lot of effort. Will you know dive on the floor for balls and kind of raise the effort level of your team, but ultimately is is not going to be an all star. Yeah, he'd be a bit of a reach for me as far as the Jazz at twelve. I don't think there's any combination of picks before that to where he'd be my number one option remaining okay. at twelve. He would definitely be a candidate if the Jazz traded down into the later teens or something like that, and he was still around. I would absolutely look at him. Okay, Kavon Looney. Let's move on to him. He was also in that same workout with Portis. Um, his questions are, are pretty big. First of all, he, he had a hip injury that he suffered before the season at UCLA this year. Kind of hampered him throughout the year. He admitted that it hampered him during the workout for the Jazz and has kind of hurt him throughout this whole process. On one hand, that's a bad thing because, you know, hip injuries are bad. And you know, if he's going to be like this his whole career, that's, he wasn't a productive player at UCLA. Um, but on the other hand, if he can get right, maybe he plays a lot better. So, you know, it, it's interesting to see. Another thing is is kind of his he's had fatigue issues in the past playing too many minutes yeah. for UCLA or even playing a reasonable amount of minutes just getting tired at the end of games. Do you think and those really, things had to do with each other? Maybe the hip, maybe, maybe the possible. hip slowed him down a bit. But he also wore down at the end of the season too. Right. Again, maybe it's fatigue, maybe it's a hip. 
Uh, whatever it is, he performed very well, I'm told, in the Jazz's workout in terms of that. Uh, well, parents and, seemed and really happy with him. So that that's good to hear. Um, you know, he's... I I don't know that I would take him 12 again under any under any scenario. I, I just don't know that I like his game that much. He does have a big body, um, which which is nice, but ultimately I, I just don't know where he fits in. No, I like Portis better than him, and as I just said, I think Portis is at the slightest bit of a stretch as well. Although it is worth noting Walt Perrin was was pretty bullish on Looney after his interview, and was he, he said he was the better shooter of the two of Portis and Looney, said Looney was the better shooter. And he seemed to say that his, as far as fatigue went, at least in the in the workout at altitude, that he did okay with it. So we'll see. Yeah, worth worth noting. Uh, Stanley Johnson, another player. Again, will probably be taken before the Jazz. Uh, there are some questions. I mean, he's super long, got a great NBA body, super athletic. The big question with him is shot selection. Is like, and is he as good as he thinks he is? Does he have the work ethic in order to mm-hmm. become great? Take advantage of the kind of his God given talents or God given body at least. And, didn't he I mean, make Didn't he make comments about how he never worked out before college or something like that? Yeah, and so like that's a little bit worrying. If if a guy gets a big contract, if he wasn't working out before college, is he going to work out after that big contract? Right. Um. So there are some questions. Uh, I like him. I, I like him too. I mean, that's the thing is he is a legitimate disruptor, um, which I, I like a lot on the defensive end. I, I think that's a big deal. I, I think it's possible that like Quinn Snyder, who has shown a great skill in developing NBA players and making them want uh, to improve in, in areas that they may not have wanted to with other coaches. I, I, I think that would be a good fit for Stanley Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I don't know that. Uh, I, I don't think he'll fall to 12. I don't think so either, though I, I would be, uh, unless other guys that I like even more fall to there, which I doubt, uh, I, I would probably be picking him if he was there. I think that he's going to be a stretch four. In the, I think that's going to end up being actually his primary role in the league, even though he's he's like six, six and a half or something like that, six, seven, which is kind of right on that line, but he's got a good wingspan and he's super strong, uh, and he defended all the, you know, two through four in college, basically. I think he's going to be that type of guy. Again, the, you know, the Draymond Green model seems to be a thing, and he's very different from Draymond Green in a number of ways, but in the sense that he can guard multiple positions, most importantly, guard the four while also hitting threes on the other end and things like that. I, I kind of like that look. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's more of a three. He measured in six five without shoes. I, I think that's that's pretty small for a, a stretch four. You know, you have to be you have to be kind of special in order to be a stretch four while being that size playing the three. If Although they've said special things about his 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 build oh. and his body and things like that, yeah. so we'll see. It it depends greatly how much he develops and, and really which team takes him and, and kind of what path they choose to take with him. Trey Lyles. Again, I'm, I mentioned he's kind of the prospect I have the least handle on, so I'm, I'm going to let you take this over. Just uh, You're not a fan. I'm not a fa- well, and I'm going to go with you as well. But I think half the reason I don't have a handle on him, and maybe that or that maybe you don't have a handle on him, and why I think maybe some a lot of people don't is I'm not sure what this guy is great at. L- uh, like I, un- he's got good size, great wingspan. I know that, and he's yeah. gonna he's gonna be a good rebounder at his position, no question. But he's not a very good shooter. Um, he, he I guess he's got pretty good footwork and touch and things like that. Uh. But I, I, I'm just kind of confused what this guy brings at the NBA level because yeah, he's been a solid ball handler and things like that. But nobody in the NBA is having a six ten guy handle the ball very often. LeBron James, unless their name is LeBron Kevin James Durant. or Kevin Durant, basically. Um, 
he's not that he's not superhuman fast like i don't think any of his physical talents are like leap off the charts necessarily yeah do they i mean he's not a superhuman leaper or anything like that i just and there's been the talk of that the knicks like him at four which i think was a lot of that was smokescreen and that's not real but uh to me i don't see it at all i don't understand and especially as far as the jazz go with you know any type of of a need not even just this year but looking into the future I don't see what he is there. He's really not on my radar at all, to yeah, be honest. I, no, I, I think that's fair. I mean, he's uh, he's a guy with great size and and has uh, hasn't put up the production in in his freshman year. Uh, I, I I think that's where he is kind of in in these mock drafts. I mean, I I, I see him as a back end of the the teens kind of player. A, a, you know, right now he's 18th in Draft Express. That's kind of where I see him as a player is just because he he does have size, he does have length. I, I could see him again like having having a long NBA career just kind of being a a size guy. Okay. Um again, let's let's move on. Sam Decker. I I have got some interesting thoughts about him. I I think he I I think he's got a pretty high floor. I I and maybe this is just super racist of me because I keep comparing him to only white guys, which I everybody does I that. I feel don't worry. so bad about that, but I like I I get in this rut. I think his worst case scenario is Joe Ingles, um, not that great of a shooter, smart player, uh, pretty good passer, good playmaker, um, uh, has some athleticism, but not, you know, a, a ton of it. Is kind of sneaky, la- quick laterally. That's what I see him as. Uh, again, low side, and I think upside is kind of like a Matt Harpering esque player, which again, racism. But like, <laughs> I I I feel like that's where he could use his size and strength in order to kind of bully baskets and and make hard cuts and and score in that way off the ball. What do you think? Am I am I off base? Well, first of all, I mean, I mean, I am I racist? No, you're not racist. <laughs> um, I don't like Decker at all. Okay. Um, I having watched him and I, I, I've watched a decent amount of him because of just because of the raw amount of time I've spent watching Kaminsky. Um, <laughs> I, I just don't think this is a player who, who really much of what he does is going to translate to the NBA level at all. Hmm. I think he's too slow. I think he's uh, he's got some size, but I don't think he's strong enough. I don't he's not a good shooter, as you mentioned. I think that some people have wanted to sort of uh, pin their hats with him on on maybe the mental side of the game, his decision making and things like that. Maybe I've missed stuff, but I don't see it. I don't see him making NBA reads and and being a a guy who can initiate offense really in any way at the NBA level. And if you can't initiate offense, but you're also not a great three point shooter and maybe not the greatest finisher. I don't see what you're necessarily bringing at the NBA level, and I don't I don't know how he like. Do they try and make this guy into a stretch four? Because if so, he's going to get pummeled. If he's at the three, any quicker three is going to go by him. I'm not too big on Decker personally, and that's not racist either. I'm just not. I'm not too big on Decker. <laughs> I'm glad we're both not racist. Yeah, that, that's something to strive for. Yeah, Kelly Oubre. Um, like I, I Kelly Oubre again. It, it, I feel like there's one of Kelly Oubre in every draft, which is this like precocious. Small forward who did nothing production-wise in college, but still has the tools to be someone good. And was and, a huge prospect out of high school. And he was a yeah. huge prospect out of high school and then disappointed their college season. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we've seen it with um, Harrison Barnes, which is kind of the good side. Yeah. We've seen it with, like, Xavier Henry, which is kind of the bad side. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just, uh, we've seen it with Paul George, although Paul George was actually much better in college yeah, than he than was predicted to be in high school. But anyway, I, I, I feel like we see a lot of this player 
And I still, I, I, I just think it's a crapshoot. I think it just depends so much on how hard they're willing to work in order to take advantage of their body. Yeah, and uh, I, like you, didn't have a handle on Lyles. I don't have much of a handle on Ubre because I have no way to parse this whole Kansas thing. The, the, I, I <laughs> yeah. there's, there's with it's just it seems to be really weird how with under self guy Bill Self that is at the coach of Kansas. That, that's he seems to first of all really favor his upperclassmen. Uh, how many minutes did did Ubre play this year? I'm just trying to find. You know, he played uh, 21, 21 played 21 game. minutes a game, which is like you when when a guy was you know a top ten recruit out of high school, which is what he was. I think you generally tend to expect that the, a guy is going to play more than that and things like that. They, they, I've I found this while watching Wiggins last year. But was I watched, he good enough to play more than that? That's the I thing mean, is I'm if but he I'm wants that, to win. that's the thing is I'm not actually sure. Like it, it was the same thing with Wiggins last year, and and not that Wiggins didn't play a lot, but there were a lot of situations where I was like, what. What are you doing? All you have Wiggins doing is just kind of standing on the perimeter and passing it around in a circle, which is what a lot of their team did. I wasn't a huge fan of the way Self used Wiggins, and I didn't watch as much of them this year, but what I have seen, it just leaves me kind of not knowing. There is a world where a a coach who can get the right things in Ubre's head and can let him loosen the right way turns him into an all-star. I mean, his wingspan is freaky. It's like 7-2-2. Or something like that, and he's like six six in shoes. He's got a massive wingspan. He's definitely got all the body stuff there. If somebody does it right, they could make him a great player. Or as you said, he could be Xavier Henry. Yeah, I, I think that's really the case. Xavier Henry was ranked six in his high school class. Ubre was ranked eighth. So yeah, I, I think he's a risk. I don't think I'd take him with the Jazz because, as I've said, I think you need more sure thing type guys right now rather than sort of upside projects. Okay, R.J. Hunter, another guy who was in Utah this week. Uh, I I. I think it's interesting. I, I'm really concerned about him because he didn't shoot more than 40% last year, and that really worries me as to how he's going to compare to the NBA. I mean, I, I see a lot of, like, Austin Rivers to me when I when I see a guy who shoots that poorly at with that many shots and, and didn't shoot well. And, you know, like Steph Curry, for example, was, was a great shooter in, in college, took a lot of shots, sure, but still shot significantly better than 39.8%. That's what RJ Hunter shot last year. Now, on the other hand, he shot very well his sophomore year. Mm-hmm. So maybe you say that's kind of his his upside is is he shot well last year. Last year was kind of a fluke, or sorry, this year was kind of a fluke. So you know maybe you have some hope there. I've heard a comparison of Kevin Martin as someone who's got kind of a low shot release, uh, but still can make them. Still has the kind of basketball smarts to create on the offensive end, and has the biggest question mark with RJ Hunter is that he has no idea how to defend. Uh, yeah. played most of his time in a zone defense last year Oof. and uh, clearly struggles with man-to-man in, in the workout, uh, clearly doesn't affect people defensively. Like It's really a question mark whether or not he'll ever be average or good in the NBA. That being said, Quinn Snyder has shown an, a, a, an ability to teach guys defense who we didn't think would be good defenders. Cough, Dante Exum. Yeah, I have heard from some people that some people think the the shooting thing, the reason why he took such a big dip this season as compared to the year before, is because everybody in the in their league and he played for Georgia State, which is a little bit of a less hope. Yeah, they I, played in the Sun where now. where he's clearly far far and away the best player on the court basically all the time when he's playing, and that it was more of a case of teams figured that out this year and started loading up really heavily on him, and he was yeah. taking a lot tougher shots, but. I disagree, I excuse me I agree with most of the rest of the points you made there and mostly especially defensively I think there's a difference between a guy like Hunter who's like basically played most of his career in zone like you said and all that 
and a guy like Dante Exum, who was kind of uh, always had the physical tools to be that guy. But and I, I don't know that Hunter necessarily has the physical tools to to be a great defender. Where yeah. I think Exum always did, and I think Rodney Hood did too. Yeah, um, th- and that's the question to me. I, I think basically the hope is that he becomes an average NBA defender, and then becomes Kevin Martin offensively, which would be a really good player because Kevin Martin's terrible defensively and still gets the minutes despite it. Yeah. Um, Christoph Przingis is, is our last player in this segment. Uh, he's he's rising on the board. I, I, I think that's clear. Uh, I've heard from a lot of different sources from a lot of different teams, including the Jazz, that, that feel that he is a top three player. Now, it's not like the Jazz feel that he is a top three player, don't get me wrong, but they really are amongst a, a group of general managers and scouts and, and people who think that he is a, a top three player in this draft because of his production in Europe at such a, lo- a young level and how prominently he fits uh, the NBA game moving forward in terms of his abilities to hit threes right now, whereas a lot of the stretch fours we've talked about earlier uh, are kind of maybe potential stretch fours. They haven't really shown that ability yet. Przingis is hitting threes and lots of them right now in Europe at a higher level than the NCAA. Um, I, I think he's going to be a top five pick. Uh, Kevin Pelton referred to him as, as a kind of in that top five group yep. uh, that that the Magic would be kind of silly to pass on just because of talent wise, mm-hmm. even even if he's not a great fit with their roster. I think he'd be um, a perfectly fine fit with their uh, roster personally. I, I, I do too. I, I mean, I, I think it'd work out. Um, I think they'd be crazy not to take him, assuming that the the. I guess maybe if Winslow is still there, but we'll see. Why? Well, and I think that he may be too. That's uh, possible. Winslow might be there, and I, I like Winslow a lot. Uh, but Przingis uh, working out next Friday for teams around the league at um, Andy Miller's camp in in Las Vegas, uh, along with all of the rest of Miller's clients. So, like Miles Turner, for example. Okay. Um, yeah. I I think. Uh, I mean, I. What do you think about Przingis? Because I'm torn because he is a great shooter. He he is a a good rim protector. I don't think he's a great rim protector. Not great. Um, he, the size and body issues do worry me, but I think it is something he can control. The thing that I have heard from from my sources is that he is actually a great worker and wants to be good kind of on, on a Rudy Gobert level. And that makes a lot of difference in the league yep. as, as we've seen with Rudy Gobert. There were some questions about that earlier in his career. It's, it's clear. I think that he's answered those and, and wants to be great, which is obviously what you want to see from a top five pick. Yeah. I, I love Porzingis. I loved him last year when, yeah, were, when he that. initially came out and then uh, rescinded his, his draft eligibility. And he was a guy who may have been in the jazz's range of 23 last year. And I would have, cried with happiness had that, had that <laughs> happened um i love porzingis if there's any shot that he drops i mean shoot if he drops down to like the seven eight nine range that's one of the only situations where as a uh, uh somebody with the jazz i would consider a trade up at that point there aren't too many other situations where i'd look at that i, I would if porzingis was a guy that might be available i wouldn't send rodney hood or anything like that in to do it but if it could be done without that like with next year's pick or something like that, I think there's a pretty good chance I'd do that to try and get up and pick Porzingis. I think he's going to be great. I think he's, uh, again, I hate player comparisons, but I think he's a Dirk Light in a, in a lot of ways. Okay. He looks a lot like Dirk did when he was this age, honestly. Okay, cool. Well, let's go ahead and take a break. And that was that was a good breakdown. I, I want to read some tweets on the, on the other side as well as we're right. going to play Would You Rather with your crazy trade idea. It's nuts, guys. And my maybe semi-more realistic one, although but still crazy. That's- I like yours more realistically <laughs> than mine, yeah. That's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show. Do we still have the caller on the line, John? 
No? Okay. Well, we've got a caller who, who asked about uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson. I, I just want to, hopefully he's still listening. I, I want to mention him really quickly because he is currently slated to go 15th in the in the Draft Express mock draft. Uh, I, I just don't see him as an option for the Jazz just because of how bad of a shooter is he is right now. I mean, to, honestly, to me, he, he reminds me of like an Elijah Millsap, just excellent defender is going right. to give you energy and hustle and steals and, and all of that is, is going to make an impact in the league but ultimately doesn't have enough offensively to, to do really well unless he takes like five steps up, which quite frankly he hasn't done in the last two seasons. Yep. Um, I, I mean, like Chris Singleton keeps coming to mind, and that's, that's a comparison that, that concerns me. I mean, Chris Singleton was supposed to be an excellent defensive player coming out, out, of, out of college, and he's turned out to be a good defensive player, but not good enough to stay out on the floor despite his offensive woes. Yeah, and in my opinion, you know, I don't necessarily in a vacuum mind the idea of a guy like Hollis Jefferson. I love guys that are good defenders um, that can defend multiple positions and things like that. But for me, with again looking at the Jazz's particular situation, if you're drafting another wing to potentially not clog up your wing situation, but that's definitely filling up your wing situation and guys you're hoping to give minutes to, and maybe even eliminating a guy like an Elijah Millsap who you mentioned. If you're doing that, in my opinion, it's got to be someone who can shoot. You, why add another guy to that well who overlaps many of the skills? Other Now, maybe he ends up being a better defender than any other guy the Jazz have currently, but to me, the, the defense isn't the largest concern for the wings right now. Shooting is. And if, if you're going to add another wing, it's uh, to me, it's got to be a guy that can shoot. One other guy that was suggested uh, by Justin Pearson on Twitter uh, is Virginia's Justin Anderson. Um, he's ranked in the 20s right now by Draft Express. He, um, let's see, how old is he? He's, he's, he's a junior. He's 21, uh, so he's a little older. He's another uh, one of those guys that really improved most in his final year in college, not mm-hmm. early on, especially his offensive game and his shooting really improved his, his last year. Yeah, and he was good offensively this season. Uh, I, though to me, I think at the next level, he's another guy like Hollis Jefferson, where uh, you probably don't see a lot of production from him. I, you know, I think at best he's a role player. I think ultimately, if if the Jazz were to trade down, maybe it makes some sense. That's I think that's where targeting... it was suggested. Yeah. Okay, I, I think it makes some sense, uh, but again, it depends what you get in that trade. I, I don't hate Justin Anderson. Um, I mean, he did shoot 45% from three on four attempts a game this year, which is, yeah, I mean, which that's is something. Nice. That's, uh, yeah, and he was he was an efficient offensive player this year. And a so great I, defender as well. I, I think that's I think that's something. I, I could actually see even liking him more than Hollis Jefferson. Yeah. Who I'm, I'm not I, a in fact, I, I do like him more than Hollis Jefferson. I think Jefferson. I, like, I like R.J. Hunter more um, because I, I mostly because I think Quinn's a better defensive teacher at this point and has shown the ability to do that. And so I, I feel more confident in his ability to teach R.J. Hunter how to play defense than to necessarily make Justin Anderson into a great player, especially given the age difference. Right. But if they do make a move down, I think that could be a guy to look at for sure. Yeah. Anyway, let's go on to Would You Rather. Real Did quick. you have any more tweets to read? Was that I, all your tweets? I think that's it. Uh, sporadic regularity asked about Hollis Jefferson. Right. Justin Pearson asked about Justin Anderson. So there we go. Those are our peeps. Cool, cool. All right. Um, Do yours first, because mine's insane. <laughs> okay. We should start with some sanity, and then, yeah. The Clippers have a problem. The Clippers' problem is that they are in trouble. Um, that is usually a problem. <laughs> they have, <laughs> they have their salary cap is, is full. Uh, DeAndre Jordan is a free agent this offseason and really needs to be resigned. Like, re-signed, sorry. Because if he leaves, they can't do anything because, else. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, it's a problem. That being said, if he stays, they can't do anything else. Is the problem, right? Like, if they have, they basically can't do anything either way. Right. 
So they need to so they need to keep him. But I think we saw this this playoffs that they're they're probably not good enough to be a legitimate finals contender in in this NBA. You know, they still need a couple of pieces. And unfortunately they have no way to add those sort of pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh JJ Reddick is their fourth best player. Matt Barnes is their fifth best player, but he's 35. Then they have like Spencer Hawes. They have Austin Rivers, who's terrible. I mean, they they have no draft picks for like the next three years because they've traded them all away. Mm-hmm. They used to have Jared Dudley, but then traded him away. Like so, they could sign Austin Rivers. So they could sign Austin Rivers or really Spencer Hawes, and then so they could then trade for Austin Rivers yeah. later. But really, it's it's just a mess that they're they're kind of in trouble on. And it's not with everybody else in the NBA. You'd say, oh, well, the cap's going up in the next two years. So, you know, when the cap's at $108 million, they'll have cap space. Well, with the Clippers, they're spending so much money on Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, and DeAndre Jordan that literally they won't even have cap space when the cap is 40% bigger than it is now. They're just like, wow. they're they're in so much trouble. So um, how do you fix it, Andy? So how do you fix it? Well, maybe you have to trade your fourth best player. Maybe you try to get something in return for J.J. Redick. Okay. Maybe you get a long-term piece in number 12. And maybe you get Trevor Booker, who fills a lot of your needs as a um, as a big who, quite frankly, can play basketball better than Hito Turkoglu. Um, so my trade idea is J.J. Redick and Spencer Hawes for Booker in number 12. What do you think? I actually do not think either team would do that deal. <laughs> uh, yes. sorry, to, sorry to rain on your parade, but no, I, I don't. I, I, and here's the reason okay. why. For the Clippers, I agree that that gets them some more long-term flexibility. But if you look at who's running them, and that being Doc Rivers, and what their goals are now, and which, to a certain point, though, should be their goals, when you've got Chris Paul, Blake Griffin in their primes, you have to be trying to win right now. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I think that move actually takes them a step back. Booker is great, and and is I don't know if Booker in a vacuum is more value-added than J.J. Redick. It might be slightly close, probably not quite. But either way, you combine that with Hawes, who wasn't great this year, but he was, you know, something at least. I think they're actually subtracting from their current on-court value right now. Where the twelve might help yeah, them down I, the line, but is unlikely to help them right away. I which agree. I don't it think they doesn't help them right away. I don't think they'd like that, honestly. I don't think that's what the Clippers are looking for. I think the Clippers are looking to make if they make a trade, they're looking to make a trade that improves their rotation next year. But how? How do they I know do that? that's very that's tough, impossible for them to do? That's their I, problem. I know, and I but I just think that that's their that's what they're tra- whether can, or not it's realistic. What can they trade to make their team better next year? Yeah, that's that's Nothing. a very tough question. And they have no assets. But I just don't think they'd want it. To, I think they'd rather go with what they have, thinking you know we were within a game of beating the Rockets, who were you know somewhat close yeah. to beating the Warriors. I think they'd rather stick with that. <laughs> and I know that's ridiculous, obviously. But the and then with the Jazz, if I'm the Jazz, uh, JJ Reddick's thirty, and he's got, by the end of his contract, he's thirty two. Are we going to be want to be the guys that are paying him on that next contract? Really after I thought he was twenty. Yeah, no, he's thirty years old. Oh, yeah. Are we going to want to be the guys paying him on the neck on that next contract? I'm not so sure about that. I don't like Hawes at all. No, uh, and, and frankly, I'd rather draft Frank Kaminsky at, at 12th than, than get Spencer Hawes for next year. Well, sure. I mean, I, I would rather have Frank Kaminsky than Spencer Hawes, especially because of their contracts. But yeah. I would rather have J.J. Redick than Trevor Booker. You know what I mean? By by a lot enough to make that work it. Yeah, I don't think I'd... Mostly if I was the Jazz, I don't I don't think I'd do it. I don't okay. I don't think I'd be too big on I it. I think I would. I, I think J.J. Redick is such a valuable role player, and especially with who the Jazz have. Uh, and his ability to shoot and his ability to space that he would help the Jazz out a ton in okay. the next two to three seasons as they as they fight for a playoff spot and fight to become contenders. Let us know what you think, guys. If you think JJ Redick and Spencer Hawes for Trevor Booker in number twelve, let us know what your thoughts are on those. We're interested. Mine is 
this is not a actual hypothetical trade because this could not take place in the current day. Well, technically, I guess it could, but it would not take place in the current day. This was based on something that David Locke mentioned this morning on his uh, his morning tip off, which was that the Jazz, it turns out, look to have been sort of the runners up in the James Harden sweepstakes when Harden was traded to Houston a couple of years ago. David is telling uh, he they didn't give the specifics, but is telling that that. The Jazz had a package as well, and that had Houston's not gone through, that the Jazz's would have been the one that was accepted and the Jazz would have gotten Harden. Now, my initial thought is that if Houston turned down a deal, including Gordon Hayward, considering what the deal that they actually took, which was putrid, if they turned down a deal, including Gordon Hayward, that makes them look even worse. Excuse me, if OKC turned down a deal, including Gordon Hayward, that makes them look even worse than they already look. Even though I know Gordon Hayward wasn't potential all-star at that year, but he was 22 years old with shooting really well with a great upside. If they turned that down, I think they're crazy, first of all. Here's, here's what I know about what happened then. Um, I know that the Jazz did make an offer. I don't know what exactly that offer was. I know that the Jazz felt it was better than the Oklahoma City's offer that they ended up actually accepting okay um from houston what i also heard is that oklahoma city was was quick in their trade negotiations i this was not a long drawn out process they wanted to get it done before the season started right uh kind of in between that negotiation and, and the beginning of the season window they didn't shop uh james harden around the league seeing what 30 teams could get they got kind of two opinions or i mean very quick sort of opinions from teams that the guys in Oklahoma City knew well. I mean, obviously, Sam Presti has some San Antonio connections. So do the Jazz. uh, And as well, so does Houston's franchise. So I I don't know how realistic it was just because I think Oklahoma City was was making that sort of trade and didn't shop it in the in the way that I would have as as a front office. If that's true that just that seems really silly to me for a player like him even though I wasn't even super high on him at the time. That's just silly. But anyway, okay. So with that in mind, fast forwarding to the present day because I think we love Gordon Hayward, but if the Jazz could have sent Gordon Hayward in one first round pick or Gordon Hayward and Ennis Cantor back then in one pick to get James Harden like sign me up, let's do that. I think it would have been Hey, well, it would have been more than that, I think. I think it would have been a pretty big offer of, like, Hayward, Cantor, and two first rounds. I still would. I mean, yeah, in hindsight, now, now, I would still course, absolutely yeah. I mean, do that. You're, you're MVP so, runner-up. with that in mind, my question is, today, if the following trade were on the table, would you do this if you were the Jazz? James Harden, in exchange for, and I believe this would work salary-wise if I'm not, in fact, I think it would work almost exactly. James Harden for Gordon Hayward, Rudy Gobert, Utah's t- unprotected first-round pick next year and the Golden State first-round pick that would they yeah. have that's unprotected. I would do it in a heartbeat. I, I would too. Think I think mean, that most should. And, and Houston wouldn't. And then my question was, <laughs> my question was how how much more would you have to include to where it became lopsided on the Jazz's side? I, I mean, I think you can include like kind of everything. And I, I, would you I trade Hayward think... and Favors? Yeah. Put Favors in instead of Gobert. Yeah. And the two first-rounders? I would rather trade Hayward or Favors than Gobert. Favors mm-hmm. has a bigger contract, and Gobert I have under control for two more years. That's true. All right, so I guess it's not as crazy as... Do uh, I do Hayward, Favors, Gobert, uh, 2016 unprotected first, and Golden State's first? I think That's about it, it more. Dicey. Yeah, I mean, then you're like the entire That's your core. future. But James Harden is a core on his own. That's true. Um you know, I, I think about it then. I you still Man, have you're just n- gutting number the 12. entire front court there. You still have Rodney Hood. You still have Dante Exum. 
you could still put together a really I good I think team. that's where it gets close, is if you okay. put in both Jazz and I don't think, is either way, I, I still don't think Houston does it. And of course, and Houston would never even look at this framework, because they've right. got Dwight Howard, why do they need right. Rudy Gobert? Exactly. So, but I just thought it was an interesting exercise team. based on, on the stuff from Locke this and morning. And it doesn't fit their, uh, like, three and layup. No, not at all. Strategy at all. Not even so, a little. So anyway. I, it was it was just all. You're crazy, Ben. I know it was all conceptual just You're to crazy. see what the Jazz's value, what our value of the Jazz's current. The moral are. of the story is that Oklahoma City screwed up by trading James Harden the way they. did. I can't. Be, if, and really, if they turn down at the time, if they turn down Hayward and Cantor and multiple firsts, they're nuts. They're just they're nuts. I don't. They, I don't know that it was Cantor and Hayward. Let's be clear. But I, you know, it was a big. Yeah, I'm just saying, if they turn that down, they're complete fools. But anyway. But we probably got to take a break. Yeah, let's go ahead and take a break. On the other side, we reveal our top 12 draft boards, what we think of the draft players right now, kind of before a lot of them get in for workouts, and, and you know we still learn some more information. Less than three weeks away from the NBA draft that's coming up next, Salt City Hoops, ESPN 700, your home of the NBA Finals. ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Utah! Okay, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show. Andy Larson, Ben Dowsett from Salt City Hoops, the ESPN troop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Check us out if you haven't already, saltcityhoops.com. We've only got a couple of minutes left in which for us to share our draft boards uh, kind of our top twelve of of who we would take um, at, at number twelve for the for the Jazz. Uh, should I start or should you? Well, first I want to mention that I made this in a vacuum, which I hate doing. Like and I almost messaged you back when you said make it. your top twelve, and was like no. But I but I I made it in a vacuum. I think picks always have to go with team no. context involved. So this is just a raw raw in vacuum. In the Jazz's context, I, though, I mean, well, okay, in your whatever, just your top twelve. Okay. Your, the top twelve players you like. You want me to go first? Okay, uh, I have Carl Anthony Towns, number one. I have D'Angelo Russell, number two. I have Justice Winslow, number three. I have Kristaps Porzingis, number four. I have Mario Hezonia, who we learned the pronunciation. I have him <laughs> at five. I have Jaleel Okafor at six, which I think will surprise many people, but I, I, I think I could have him lower, honestly. Okay. I just don't think, anyway. I have Kaminsky at seven. If you had him any lower, you would have him below Kaminsky. I would, which I, that was almost what I felt weird about Ooh. doing, but and so I didn't do it. I, okay. I, I really think there's a chance that guys that I have below him become better pros than him. Oh, well, of um, course there's a chance. Well, but... I think there's almost a good chance, in my opinion. Okay. Opinion. Um, I have Kaminsky at seven. I have Emmanuel Moutier at eight. I have Stanley Johnson nine. Willie Cauley Stein ten. That's another one wow. that's a lot yeah. lower than most people have him. I'm just not convinced. I and then I have Devin Booker at eleven and Kelly Oubre at twelve. So kinda, which doesn't mean I think the Jazz would should take Oubre necessarily. Well, let me let me ask: If you are the Jazz and the first eleven players that you mentioned there are gone, do you take Oubre or do you take somebody else? Uh, well, first of all, I would. That's where I'd be looking really heavily into trading that pick down. Well, of course, at that point. But uh, let's say it was completely completely unavailable and not at and all. And no one wants to trade down. I guess at that down. point I would have to t- it would I it would probably come down to me taking a really close look at him versus a, a guy like Bobby Portis. Okay. Um and not Miles be, Turner? No. Okay. No, oh wait, it, sorry. Excuse me. I, I it would it, Turner would be in that mix as well. I should. I I don't like Turner nearly as much as Kaminsky, but I would consider him if all those other guys were gone. I would okay. at least give him. No, a I'm look. I'm just kind of thinking like your worst case if if everything goes poorly on draft night and those eleven guys are taken. Who's yeah, your it would come down to those three for okay. sure. And actually, probably would be leaning towards Portis and, and Turner because I this, again the stretch big thing for me is a big deal over Ubre. Yeah. Okay. No, that's that's totally reasonable. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. Okay. Yours. My draft board. Towns. D'Angelo Russell, Winslow. So we're same on the first three. Yeah, I I like Winslow a lot. 
Um, yeah. And not a lot of people do. I just think that having yes, an all-around... <laughs> people love well, him. People love him, but not at the top three level. I guess that's you know true. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, that's a lot the, of people Woj are just talking about him that going the, to number seven. Woj just reported the Knicks are working him out and have high interest in taking him before. That was during the program, yeah. actually. Okay, so if he if he goes number four, then I guess teams like him, although we yeah. have him at three. So yeah. Can, you know. All right, but keep it, going. it would surprise a lot of people to have... Him at three. I just think that he's such a good all-around player. I think he's a better uh, Michael Gilchrist. Okay. Anyway. Uh, Okafor, number four. I'm not quite as down on him as you. I, okay. I think there's still some value in, in who he is as a player, and he. I think he's very likely to achieve that ceiling. That's fair. Kristaps uh, Porzingis is five. Willie Cauley-Stein, six. I like him a lot. I mostly I like his personality a lot, even though people don't like, uh, aren't sure how much he'll be focused on basketball. Uh, That's I, one of my main worries. I, I think... That sort of player can be good in the NBA. I, I think he, I think he'll end up being an excellent player, kind of a DeAndre Jordan sort okay. of type. Um, Emmanuel Mudiay, uh, Stanley Johnson, Mario Hazonia, then Devin Booker, Frank Kaminsky, and then Bobby Portis is my number twelve. Okay, so the areas we differ the largest are going to be Okafor slightly, Cauley Stein by a, a pretty uh, by a yeah, you know by a four, four or five pick gap, and then I guess Kaminsky. You have Kaminsky at 11, and I have him at 7. So, yeah, and that's just my uh, qualms with drafting a older guy in the top 10, Right. Uh, given how badly those guys have done. I agree that he has NBA skills right away. Uh, I don't necessarily agree that his secondary skills are good enough to keep him on the floor necessarily. Okay. Um, and, and I know you believe in those more, and, I, and I, I just don't. Maybe just because I've been burned by like the Doug McDermott's of the past. I believe in those for 20 to 25 minutes a game against mostly backups is the context in which I Even believe Even then, in those. though, those guys have not done well. You know, like yeah. Doug McDermott and Jimmer Fredette aren't playing 20 yeah. to 25 minutes That's a true. Game. That's and very I think true. There are some people who thought about that as their first. But same question for you then, I guess. Uh, if the other guys were all gone and it was Kaminsky and Portis were available at 12, would you take Kaminsky? I would take... Or would you look I down would take further? Kaminsky, yeah. As, okay. as, I mean, he's my number 11. I think he would be fine in a Jazz uniform, okay. don't get me wrong. And I would take Portis 12 if, if it came to that. Okay. Um, if if Kaminsky's gone, too. But, you know, All that's... Right. I, I think the Jazz do have a need there. All right. All right. Good draft pod. Yeah, that's our or show. Thanks again show. so much for listening. There's still so much more NBA Finals action up on ESPN 700 coming up for you guys next. ESPN 700's your home of the NBA Finals here in Utah.